This is Palm Sunday. And every year we come to this time when we go through the, the motions of it. And I wonder if sometimes it is not a routine. Oh yeah, this is Palm Sunday. I mentioned when I was a little boy, uh, brought up in the Methodist church, we used to have the palm branches and each of us will be given a branch and we would march through and singing Hosanna and so on. And it meant absolutely nothing to me. And then I grew. Then I became a believer. And I soon come to understand that what we have in Palm Sunday is the expression of God merging, merging time and eternity together. That's what I want you to see this morning as we think of who is this? Who is this? Listen, listen to the following event that took place in 1977. On December 4, 1977, in Bangui, an African city, his Imperial Majesty, Bakesa I, was to be crowned as king. The entire ceremony for his coronation in this little African country cost $25 million. The ceremony began with the beating of the drums, the sound of the trumpet, and then the procession began. The procession was led by eight of his 29 children. This was led by his two-year-old son, who was supposed to be the heir to the crown, his two-year-old. I was reading this to Lois, and she said, so? You don't, don't you see what he's doing? The youngest one, by the time he's old enough, be as old as Prince Charles and Queen Elizabeth. So he has a long time, at least that's what he thought. So he was preceded by this young John, who was the, to be the heir of the throne. He was dressed, this two-year-old was dressed in an admiral uniform with gold braids, and he was seated to the left of the throne on a pink pillow. Then came his wife, Catherine, who was the favorite of his nine wives. She was wearing a gown that was made in Paris, loaded with pearls, and cost $73,000. It was time for the king to arrive. The marine band began to play the sacred march and the king made his entrance. He was wearing a cape that weighed 32 pounds, sewn with 780,000 pearls. I wrote this out in numbers because I wanted to make sure I say not 780, 780,000 pearls. A white gown, 
He was wearing pearls slippers upon his feet and a wreath like a Roman emperor's crown. He sat down on his $2.5 million throne, took the wreath off his head, replaced it with his $2.5 million crown containing an 80-carat gold diamond, a carat diamond, and set it on his head. What a mockery. Here's a poor African country bleeding by those who were taking advantage of the privilege given to them. Two years later, he was dethroned. <laughs> All that pump and whatever else he would call it, gone. What a contrast to the king who came riding on a donkey. What a contrast to him who had no place to set his head. This is the one who comes to us this morning, not in shining armor. This is the one who comes to us to make us feel welcomed by his presence. That although he is a king, as we shall see, what he is as a king, and I, I know I'm, I'm really slippery territory here telling Americans about kings, because Americans like presidents. We are a democracy, but ultimately, friends, a king will reign, <laughs> whether we like it or not. It is the kings like this one that made the idea of kings so unpalatable to us. I want to draw three things from Palm Sunday, which I believe can be of value to you and me today, years after the incident of Christ coming up the mountain, down the road, which would lead to his crucifixion. The coming of the king was a prophecy of scripture. The coming of the king was prophesied. In other words, before it even happened, six to seven hundred years before it happened, we read Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. This was a prophet that, that lived. He had no way of knowing whether this was going to happen. But God spoke to him and said to him the things that were taking place. Chapter 1 and verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Zacharias the prophet. The entire narrative finds its source in the God of heaven. And as this was happening... Matthew is writing, and Matthew has a way of seeing things related to the, to, the, to the Old Testament. And we read in Matthew 21, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. He had not yet arrived in Jerusalem. 
and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs them and he will send them. Now look at verse 4 of Matthew 21. This, this, the procession has not yet started. But what Jesus was doing, what he had sent his disciples to do, this was the fulfillment of what was going to take place. At the turn, at the turn of the century, there came a new theology or a new idea, philosophy, known as open theism. Open theism. And, and, and I, I am very sorry to say that one of the, the, the men who talked about this was a man who had influenced my life deeply. You can imagine my disappointment when I heard that. What is open theism? Listen to what the open theism is. It is the belief that God doesn't know everything. That he cannot say what will happen tomorrow until tomorrow comes. That the future is out of his control. Only as human beings think can God think. He does not know because it has not yet happened. I sat in my desk thinking about this. 600 years before, 700 years before, here was Zacharias building the temple. And God appeared to him and said to him, write this. A time is coming and it will happen this way. I'm going to set my king up and he will come. And he will not come as people think that a king comes. Not like the king in Africa. There'll be a donkey. And there'll be a colt. And he's going to come riding on that donkey. Now who could make such predictions except a God who knows everything? Except a God who knows tomorrow, long before tomorrow comes into play. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, God promises a child to, add to uh, Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah laughed. <laughs> she, she was 90 at this time. And she was thinking, God has to be joking. 90? And God heard her laughing. And this is what we read. God said, Next year this time I will visit you again, and Sarah shall have a son. Next year. I'm going to be back right here. And what I am saying now will take place as I have said it. God doesn't know everything. Dear friends, I wouldn't want to be serving a God who doesn't know what tomorrow is going to be like because he's wise enough to make me ready for it as he has given me his word. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 17, we read, God calls into existence things that are even though they do not yet exist. God, does, God doesn't have a, 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 a plan and says, okay, uh, this is plan A and this is plan B. No, God says, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place. And so Matthew was able to see, Matthew was able to see that what was taking place was what Zacharias had predicted centuries before and could be believed because God was the source of it. I, I usually say to people, I don't say it anymore because I don't need to. My friends, one of the many reasons I believe the Bible is the word of God is the fulfillment of prophecy. He said there was going to be a virgin who would be born, who would give birth, where that, that birth is to take place, and it happened that way. And may I say, God says he is coming again, and he will, and he will. The king, the whole thing was prophesied. Not only from the Old Testament, but from the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist is said to be born so that he will be able to be a forerunner. Listen to it. Before, he shall do something more. He shall go before in front of the Lord their God and advance herald as a forerunner who will announce the coming of the Lord their God. Since John is to go before, this means that Yahweh, God, Jehovah, is to follow. John will be born and Christ will be born afterwards because that's the way God predicted it. That's the way God said it was going to be. The angel announces two great facts. The Messiah is following John in order to fulfill the messianic promises. And the promises of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament and until Jesus Christ comes again, everything has to be fulfilled because when God makes a promise, he keeps them. Nothing can change it. Nothing can avert it. There are times we look at things as they are today and wonder if there is any change at all that is possible. My friends, we have the scriptures. And as someone has rightly said, we have read the last chapter. We know how it all ends. We know how the end will come. But until then, we have been given something with which to live. We have been given what I call the history of Palm Sunday. So what Palm Sunday says to us, that in this event, we have God coming into human history, revealing himself so that we might know how to live, why we're to live this way, because the one who comes from heaven is able to show us. Consider with me Matthew again, chapter 21. The presence of the king. 
There was a time when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth. I remember as we got off the plane in Tel Aviv. And as we were getting, getting ready to go to Jerusalem, because at that time you, you didn't fly into Jerusalem, you fly to Tel Aviv, and then you get transportation from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I guess with the change now of the, the, um, the president giving, making Jerusalem the capital, that you will see some changes in that perhaps. But we got off in Tel Aviv. And, and as we got off, and there was something about it. I looked at Lois and I said, this is where it all started. This is where it all started. Everything that is between the covers of this book started right where we are standing. And what a joy it was. You see, Jesus answers to prophecy. Prophecy is not some disjointed thoughts that are put together by antiquity so that we will have something to, to believe in or something to hold on to. Prophecy, my friends, is, please listen, prophecy is inspiration. It is God breathed. It comes from God who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning. Now all this, Matthew says, all this, John, Matthew loves this. He loves All this was happening that what was spoken of by the Lord might be fulfilled. He just loves the word. 2.15, that it might be fulfilled. 2.17, Matthew 2.17, that it might, fulfill, might be fulfilled. He just loves it. No other human being before or after Palm Sunday fits what Palm Sunday speaks about except Jesus Christ. He, it happened in history. It happened when, when people were able to say he was here. There are people today, in fact, there are people, I was going to say brilliant people. I don't know how brilliant they are. Uh, one of my teachers used to say, students don't call it common sense because it's not that common. <laughs> there are people today who are denying that Jesus even existed. Church people. That, 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 that you know, he, he was just one of the many disciples, that big church in Utah says that. But no one fulfills scriptures as Jesus has and Jesus does. Luke 24, listen to this. As the two were on the road to Emmaus, and I don't want to say too much of them because we'll be talking about them this weekend. All these things are written, says Jesus. What things? The things that are written in the books of Moses by the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and David in the Psalms. All these things are written about me and must be fulfilled. Palm Sunday, my friends. You know, I, I, I think of it again. And I don't talk about these things too often because I don't think that you need to go there to make, the, make, make this happen. But when you've been there and you see you see it. I remember that we're, we were standing on the hill where, where the procession may have come by and we're walking down the hill from up to down 
And later on, it's going to be from down to up when we were coming from Jericho, going up to Jerusalem. And the, the, the sense, the sense, I, I try to picture in my mind what it must have been like for the little children, for the people to lay their garments in, 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 in the pathway so that Jesus could, could pass over them. Christianity is not a man-made religion of experience or emotions of the past. Christianity is a religion that is steep in history that can be proven. There are things that we believe today and we worship today that we cannot prove, but we can prove what the Bible says about Palm Sunday because it happened in time and space. We don't need to be afraid to tell people why we believe the Bible. Because the Bible is God-breathed by which God made predictions and they came through. But he was not only a fulfillment in history, he was acknowledged. He was acknowledged. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Who is born king? But listen. What does he mean that he's born king of the Jews? Listen to what he says. For we have seen his star. Now please listen. This is not talking about what star you were born under. He is talking about the one who possessed as owner. The one who is able to use the constellation as he wills. Because Psalm 147 says this. That God is the one who has created all the stars and he counts them and he calls them by name. He calls them by name. Psalm 8.3 says that the stars, the whole constellation as we think of it, are the works of God's fingers. Try, try to picture that one. You know, one of the things I don't like, but I, I, I think, I, I bought my, my daughter, she was just a little girl, and I, I bought her a, a house. She always wanted a house. So I bought her a house. And, and the instructions came with the house. And the house is still not made. I sat on the floor trying to figure that thing out and it just, pieces appeared where they shouldn't be and that house is still not built. Think, my friends, the scripture says that the universe, the stars, God calls them by name. No one knows how many stars there are. And when God needs a star to do something on earth, he simply calls the star and says, come here, do this. He did it. He did it. With a fish. And Jonah, he, he called the fish. He said, I want you, I, I, get him. <laughs> you know, sick him. <laughs> and the fish came. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know why this comes to my mind as I say this. Every time I think of a story, 
Salvation Army lady was asked if she believed everything in the Bible. And she said, yes, I do. Do you believe the place where it says the, 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 the fish uh, swallowed the man? You, oh, she said, you mean Jonah? Yes, Jonah. You believe that, that he was swallowed by a fish? She said, yes. And so he said to her, explain it to me. And she said, I can't explain it. I've got to wait until I get to heaven and ask Jonah. And he said to her, what if when you get to heaven, Jonah isn't there? And she said, in that case, you ask him. <laughs> we don't make up stories, my friends, for people to believe. Billy Graham was asked about that, and Billy Graham says this, I believe that Jonah was swallowed by the whale, and believe me, if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe that too. <laughs> We don't believe stupid things. Stars are not just there. They're there in their places because that's where God wants them. And when God needs a star, or when he needed one, I should say, to guide these, these wise men, as we call them, magis, from some parts of Babylon, as most people believe, they were able to come and they were able to say, where is he who is born king, owner of the stars? Because we have seen the star that he has put aside so that we might know that the king has arrived. He gives names to all of them. And may I suggest to you that if God calls the stars by name, when you and I bow our knees to him, as Lord, he calls us by name. But I want you to see that Jesus is not only king of the invisible world that is beyond space-time. He's also king that reaches into the netter world. This is Matthew 8. Jesus is walking through the streets of Jerusalem and there was a man, no one could tame him. He was possessed by an evil spirit. And as Jesus came toward that man, the spirit in that man revolted and said, I know who you are. You are the Son of God, and you have come to torment us. Jesus is king of the nether world. That there are forces in this world, my friends, working against God and his whole program. But those forces cannot overcome the king. Because he rules out of space and he rules below space. He is king. That's what kings do. Uh, you know, Lois and I were talking, you know, Lois's mother is English. Um, and, and, and we sometimes talk about some of these things, about how the, the queen and, and so on. And, and I had more in common with Lois's mom than she did because I, I, that was part of my life. I remember when Elizabeth, not Elizabeth, when Margaret came to where I was living 
my word, it was something, you know, everybody was running to see her, and I was one of them uh, running to see the princess. And not once did she ever look in my direction. But this king, this king does. This king Jesus does. We'll see in a moment. And sometimes we have to realize that the present queen has no authority. The present queen has to do what the parliament says she's supposed to do. When, she's, when she sits in parliament and reads what's going to take place, it is not her speech. She's just a figurehead. Not so with this king. My friends, we can call upon him right now, today, because he ever lives. And, and, and he tells us to pray. Pray. When you pray, you pray this. Deliver us from the evil one. Only King Jesus can do that. No one else can. And the spirits in the Netta world realize that their times are limited and all the things that they're doing will come to an end when Jesus comes from Revelation 21. He comes not on a donkey at that time. He'll come on a horse. And he will destroy the works of the evil one. Behold, your king is going to come. Zechariah 9 Behold, your king has come. Matthew 21.5 Lastly, the program of the king. The program of the king. Luke 19.31, uh, 39-41. Why this event? What is the divine intention behind Palm Sunday? Several suggestions have been made and Coming on top was the triumphant entry. <laughs> I, I like that. You, you look at this story, what is triumphant about it? What is triumphant about this holy week? It's going to end in death. You see, there is behind this what you and I cannot see. If it had to do only with the people at the time that Jesus lived, then we could say it was of no value to me at all. But for you and me today, in the 21st century, Jesus lives to show royal compassion. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Luke said that as he was moving up to Jerusalem, and that was another beautiful scene again for us. We were arriving in Jerusalem just as the night was coming. And the, as you go, the, the city was sitting on a hill there. What a beautiful sight that was. Everybody else, everybody else was in a frenzy. When, when we were on our way there, there was a fellow in, in our air-conditioned bus blowing a trumpet, playing the song, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It was quite a scene. And the crowd, crowd was all around Jesus, waving their palm branches. And as Jesus comes to the city, what does he do? He begins to cry. Now, please note, please note for a moment, friends. This is God crying. This is the owner of the stars crying. This is the creator crying. 
Why is he crying? Have you ever seen the queen crying? Have you ever seen a king crying? I have never. I've never. The king we read about at the beginning of this story, uh, there was no place for tears in his life. But, but what is Jesus doing? The key, the key is in verse 41. He said this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you knew the things that were provided for you, the visitation, that word, visitation, a key word in understanding Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is God visiting earth. Palm, the word, the word visitation is, is talking about someone who comes to inspect, someone who comes to see how things are going. We, we, the, we get our word, um, an elder, from this word. Bishop is a delineation of this word. What did Jesus come to see? My friends, he saw spiritual darkness in Jerusalem, for he came unto his own, and his own rejected him. And people still do that today. And Jesus wept because of the darkness that they were in, and they didn't even know it. Jesus wept because less than 40 years from where he was going up, he saw Babylon coming, Rome coming, and destroying Jerusalem. Not one brick was left on all the beautiful buildings. He saw coming destruction, and he wept. But let me suggest to you, spiritual darkness, spiritual destruction, there's another reason that Jesus wept, and he may be weeping this moment, if you please, because he cares. Because he cares. Jesus is not indifferent to the pains you are carrying. Jesus is not indifferent to your indifference to him. He cares. And the only reason we are indifferent to him is because we're in spiritual darkness. And he wants us to come out of it. And he, show, he, he weeps to show how much he cares. Someone said, people are not interested in how much you know until they know how much you care. Here is the Son of God caring enough to weep. Now, I'm going to tell you, it takes a lot to bring tears to my eyes. I was never taught to weep, to cry. But the Son of God was not ashamed to let you know. I remember some years ago, I was counseling a, a father and he was angry at his son, angry as could be. His son was indifferent to his, what he was doing. And I said, do you love your son? <laughs> he said, of course I do. That's why I'm talking with you. I said, have you ever shown him that you care for him? He said, I buy everything that he needs. And then I said, have you ever shed a tear? Have you ever wept for your son because he is trampling on your love? And my friends, that was a moment that God gave. Because the next week he came, if I remember the story correctly, 
he came and said, the whole attitude has been changed. My son is a different boy because I wept for him. The son of God in tears, the wandering angels say, be thou astonished, O my soul. He shed those tears for thee. Lastly, not only display royal compassion, but he displayed royal condescension. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We heard it this morning. The word glorified there is to die. John 12, 23. The Son of Man is to be glorified. He sits He set his face toward Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. The Son of Man is going to suffer and to die. You know something I never noticed before? There's only one place in the Bible where Jesus is seen sitting down. And it's on this donkey. Every other place he's walking or standing. Every other place. Of course, when he's sleeping, he's at the back of the boat. But he never goes anywhere but he walks but here he's telling us something what is he telling us please let me close with this please listen and being found as a man he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience even to the extent of dying the death he died was the death of a common criminal that is why God has now lifted him up so high and given him a name that is beyond all names so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow whether in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth because he's king. And this is why in the end every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Who is this? This is God walking where you walk, feeling what you feel, and living through it that you also may live. Let's pray. Father, this word is not about us. It's about the king, the king that is alive, the king that still walks where we, where, where, where we walk. Your word says that he ever lives to intercede for us. This is not a dead king. He's not in a grave somewhere. We're living on the other side of an empty tomb. And we are able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take this word and open our minds to have a fresh desire to love Jesus Christ with all our hearts and, and to be willingly, willingly disrobe ourselves with the outer garments and to spread them so Jesus Christ will be seen as the Lord of our lives. He can have what I have because what I have he has given to me. Thank you, Lord, for the King. Thank you that he's not a king.
He is my King. Amen.